again, listeners, and welcome to the second episode of Blessed Are the Binary Breakers. This is your host, Avery Smith, and I am super excited about this episode. I met Willow Hoving a year and a half ago when she co-led a workshop about welcoming trans people into faith communities with me. Willow is a very intelligent, caring person who is just so much fun to be around. She and I recorded this interview a couple weeks ago from my apartment on Louisville Seminary's campus. Let's get into it, listeners. You are in for a treat. I would invite you, Willow, to just, you know, say hello and tell the listeners whatever you think they should know about you. Okay. Um, I am Willow Hoving. Uh, I'm a trans woman. Uh, I'm 56 years old, and it's exciting to be here on this campus because 25 years ago, I also was a student here. Mm -hmm. Some other things to know about me. I, I work as a software developer. I am also the parent of a 22-year-old trans son. And um, let's start with that. Yeah. That's plenty to start with. So you only just came out a few years ago as trans. And so... That's, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I decided uh, at the <laughs> ripe old age of 52 and a half yeah. uh, that it was, it was time yeah. for, for me to... Um, at, at first, I framed it as, I'm going to look into this mm -hmm. and see what's involved. Mm -hmm. but, but then it pretty quickly became clear to me that, that transitioning and uh, moving into living full-time as a woman was, was uh, what I was supposed to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a late bloomer <laughs> in terms of, of coming to that point. I'm also a late bloomer in terms of my involvement with the church. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't become a, a regular churchgoer until I was about 25. Was that before or after seminary? Well, so I, I was in a different program, mm -hmm. a, a different graduate program in uh, Boulder, Colorado, and um, somehow found my way to uh, a lovely Presbyterian church there mm. became quickly very involved and very interested in Bible and theology and the pastor there uh, kind of encouraged me to to yeah. look at going to seminary and, and uh, a few years later that's where I ended up before you found that church what was what was your childhood like and your family background? I grew up in the 1960s and mm -hmm. 70s in Salt Lake City. And I was pretty much unchurched. When I was three or four years old, my mom decided that it would be convenient for me to be able to say that I had a church that I went to. Okay. Um, and so we spent uh, two or three years... And I was mostly there in their in their uh, preschool mm -hmm. Christian education program uh, at the Unitarian Church in Salt Lake, but uh, I I still would would consider myself as having been brought up unchurched. Okay, yeah. I'm really, I'm I'm really not sure. I I, I don't have a good narrative for how I found my way into that Presbyterian church yeah. in, in Boulder. Part of, part of it was uh, one of my colleagues in graduate school, who we later figured out is a second cousin of mine. Oh, wow. <laughs> he saw something in me that was either searching for something or that or saw that I would be fertile ground, fertile ground and, yeah. and uh, planted some seeds that really wow. quickly took off. Would you agree with that, sort of him seeing you searching for something? Were you at that point, do you feel like? Oh, I, I, I think I've been searching for things all, all my life. Mm. At some point in this interview, I, I want to say that for, most of, for all of my life, mm -hmm. I've, I've really lived with uh, 
John Scalzi calls it the uh, the lowest difficulty settings in the game of life. Ah. Um, you know, I was assigned male at birth. Mm -hmm. uh, I was when I started to be aware of, of romantic and sexual orientation mm -hmm. uh, because I was living as male, mm -hmm. I appeared straight. Yeah. I was white, mm -hmm. raised in a, uh, an overwhelmingly white culture, middle class, educated uh, parents and grandparents. Mm -hmm. You know, so... so All the privileges. All, I, <laughs> I, I had the, all the privileges across the board. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of ways in which I was different from the other people around me. Yeah. For, for, for my first six years, uh, I was raised by a single mother. If you think that being a single mother in Utah in the early 60s wow. was easy, mm -hmm. you'd be wrong. And she, she just did wonderfully under challenging circumstances. Mm -hmm. um, but I... I think it's safe to say that I never, ever, ever saw myself as one of the boys. Okay. No, I, I was not like any of yeah. the other boys, and frankly, I, I didn't. I really didn't enjoy their company. Yeah. I wasn't like them, and I didn't want to be like them. Yeah. You know, in, in contrast with a lot of personal narratives that I hear from trans women roughly my age, I wasn't intensely aware as a child of being trans. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I just knew I was different. And, and all through elementary and, and middle school, you know, I was just the weird kid. Yeah. Oh, I relate to that. You know, there there were there were a few people who tossed the word queer at me, but mm. mostly it was sort of a, a generic. You're different from us. Your listeners can't see because it's not a visual medium. Is my curly hair? Yeah, that's mostly what I got teased about. Really? Yeah, just your curls. Like in the sixth grade, there was there was one kid who just mercilessly wow. teased me, calling me Curly Lou. Curly oh my Lou. gosh. Um, what an insult. And I was going to tell you I love your curls. Well, and, and I, do, I do too yeah. now. Let's, let's go ahead and, and fast forward. Yeah, so, move forward. So I graduated high school. I went to, I did undergraduate work in Southern California. Oh, wow. I went on to graduate school mm -hmm. and ended up in Boulder, a really wonderful program. But as, as I moved into adulthood, one of the things that I started to notice that really kind of puzzled me was I really, really did not want to work with a therapist who wasn't a woman mm -hmm. or have work with a physician who wasn't a woman mm -hmm. to the extent that being a student in a scientific field allowed it. My preference was was to hang socially with with women. I mean, I I did have in my undergraduate and graduate years some some really dear friends who are male, mm -hmm. but I would have been just as happy if yeah, just had all female yeah, friends. Yeah, yeah. Starting in childhood and then you know d developing in into adulthood there would be these little things that I would notice that yeah. were like, oh, okay, that's another way in which I'm not... <laughs> yeah, not typical. Yeah. So uh, I was in this Ph.D. program in Colorado, and I was pretty uncomfortable and unhappy with my life. Mm. Um, and maybe that's, maybe that's what, what my friend, who turned out to be a second cousin, yeah. saw. You know, as soon as I got involved with that church in Boulder, I, I just really dug deep mm. into scripture and theology and uh, the history of the church, mm. and I was just fascinated by it. And so I actually ended up deciding um, that I'd go ahead and finish that degree, mm. but then um, I, I applied to come to Louisville Presbyterian Seminary. 
Yeah, you know, I, I think initially my thought was was that I I could go into pastoring or maybe academia. As it turned out, that's that's not how things worked out. Mm-hmm. But but it did bring me here, and I also learned about myself that. Uh, changing geography and changing academic fields did not relieve me of that sense of, of not being comfortable with my life. Yeah. So a couple of things happened when, when I got to Louisville. Um, and what, just to give a time frame, was that what decade was that sort of? Yeah, so I, I arrived in Louisville in August of 1992. Okay, two years before I was born. <laughs> right, right. So a couple of things happened when I got here. One was that uh, I developed a really, really strong and pretty intense friendship mm-hmm. with uh, one of the other students who who started at the same time. I I still value having had that friendship. Yeah. Um, but one one of the things that she used to jokingly say was was. Uh, and and she, so she was assigned female at birth, and in some ways, but not always, uh, gender atypical. Okay. And the the way that the phrase that she had to describe that was, I missed out on that course in girl indoctrination school. <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> um, that's relatable. And and what I what I started to realize was I had missed out on just about all of boy indoctrination school. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that I was pretty glad. <laughs> yeah. You didn't miss out on too much. <laughs> yeah. You know, so the you know, the, this list of things about my life that puzzled me kind yeah. of started to to stack up. Yeah. And af- at some point after I'd been here for for about 2 years, so so we're we're now in 1994. Mm-hmm was the very, very first time that the possibility occurred to me, you know, I might be mm-hmm. a trans woman. Now, contrary to current transgender vocabulary orthodoxy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that really was tied up in what I was noticing about my who I was romantically and physically attracted to. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, to, to be blunt... All the people I found myself attracted to were masculine of center lesbians. Aha. Uh-huh. It's okay. like, what the yeah. hell? Yeah. And so if you're supposed to be a man and you're attracted to lesbians, who are, yeah. 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 I can imagine that was very confusing. It 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 was awfully confusing. Yeah. Um and so so I I confided in this friend, you know, I think. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm looking at the possibility that I might be a lesbian who was assigned male at birth. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think I used that horrible phrase, trapped in the body of yeah. a man, yeah. which which is a phrase I don't like. It turned out that that she had come here from a women's studies program mm-hmm. that was at the time and still is notoriously oh, no. trans exclusionary. That was pretty much the end of our friendship. Yeah, she um, was not happy with that. Well, she she was not happy with that, mm-hmm. and and her message to me was that's not a thing. Yeah, there is no such thing as that. But and I, I will tell you, I still feel that loss. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was also uh, in in therapy at the time, and I brought it up with the therapist I was seeing, and he didn't. He didn't shut it shut it down in terms of no that can't possibly be true. His his message was not no that's an impossible identity. His message was you've got enough going on in your life, uh, and that is an awful hard mm, road to try to walk down. Okay, and I don't think he was wrong. Okay, I mean I I I think that that if I had tried pursuing transition at that time mm-hmm. it would have been really difficult mm-hmm. and yeah I certainly would be in a very very different place today yeah, I, I don't sure. I don't think that I would have had the kind of support that I have had in in the past four and a half years and so I really kind of put it on the shelf yeah 
And then a whole bunch of stuff happened in my life. I did get married, and uh, we had a child. That marriage ended pretty quickly, pretty shortly after. Okay. Something else that was going on was I had come into the seminary program already really pretty burned out on, mm. academ on academics. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I stuck around for several years and left, you know, left after six years with the two-year degree instead of, yeah. okay. of the three-year degree that, that I'd come for. But I, the, the whole idea of maybe being a trans woman, first of all, had I'd only gotten to the point where I considered it as sort of a theoretical possibility. Okay. And second of all, I was now uh, a single parent. Yeah. And uh, raising a kid and in the the real world of work yeah. for for the first time in my life, and uh, I really kind of put it on the shelf. Mm -hmm. And it stayed on the shelf for about 20 years. It's a long time. Well, I, I, I think that I differ from a lot of the trans folks I know mm -hmm. in that I was never really clearly consciously aware of dysphoria, of, of being intensely and clearly uncomfortable mm -hmm. with parts of my body or or with aspects of how I lived. I was just uncomfortable with everything. Somebody who I met a couple of years later who is still a very good friend came up with the perfect metaphor. She said, when I first met you, it was like meeting somebody who spent every day walking around in a sandpaper suit. Hmm. You know, just everything wow. about life was uncomfortable. And she said that to me mm -hmm. a couple of years ago after I had started transitioning. Yeah. And her point was that I no longer was like that. Wow. So much changed for me. Mm -hmm. Starting just with the, with the decision, yeah, I'm going to do this. But then as I started to make small changes in what I was wearing mm -hmm. and, you know, God bless estrogen. <laughs> from from my perspective, yeah, yeah, being able to start on androgen suppressors mm -hmm. and start introducing estrogen in, into my system, yeah. uh, made a world of difference for for my outlook. And so there, there's a, a trans writer named Sam Dylan Finch who I think had a somewhat similar experience and talks about gender euphoria yeah. rather than dysphoria. I love that so much. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it's not so much that that I got rid of things specific things that I was uncomfortable with, mm -hmm. but started discovering things that I hadn't known were possible yeah. that yeah. that were just so delightful. And I think it's so important to get that narrative out there that being trans isn't only about like suffering and hating yourself and stuff it's also about finding you know joy and again largely thanks to all of the privileges that i walked into mm -hmm. life with mm -hmm. um that road has been pretty easy for me one of the things that happened towards the end of my time at the seminary mm -hmm. was that I got connected up with a tiny, tiny Lutheran church here in town, okay. an, an ELCA congregation. I, it's, it's unlike any, any other congregation I've, oh, yeah. I've, I've been exposed to. Um, Are they still around? Well, so... <laughs> do you want to give them a shout out? <laughs> I do, I do. Third, third Lutheran church. Okay, um, I'll have to visit them. Uh, oh God, we would welcome you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and actually, uh, they invited me to come teach their adult Sunday school class. Oh, cool. Yeah. Awesome. And I still teach that Sunday school class every oh, Sunday. Oh wow! Oh yeah. wow! Oh, yeah. I have to come and see that. And what I didn't know about them mm -hmm. was not more than two years earlier, mm -hmm. before I walked through the door that congregation had made the decision to sign on with 
what in the ELCA is designated reconciling in Christ. Okay. Um, roughly equivalent to more light, more light, more light uh, yeah. Presbyterians. That, in part, was what was responsible for their sort of difficult pastoral situation oh. because the bishop at the time mm -hmm. was strongly anti-gay. Yeah, not a fan of... Not not a fan, and once the congregation had, had made made that decision. Mm -hmm. uh, well, first of all, there were some members who left. Sure. But mostly there was a complete withdrawal of support, mm -hmm. especially in terms of calling a new pastor yeah. from, from the Synod. And, you know, fr frankly, the impression that I have was that that bishop expected that the congregation would close its doors within yeah. a couple of years. And, just kind of fall apart. And and there there was, you know, what I will say is that that congregation has been two years from closing its doors for 25 years. Wow. So, <laughs> um, They're hanging in there. We've had some really wonderful pastoral leadership. The ELCA decided as late as 2009 mm -hmm. that it would be okay right. for partnered uh, gay people to, to be rostered clergy. Okay. Yeah. And uh, one of our members who's been clear about his call to ministry since he was seven years old wow. um, was finally able to, to be ordained. Oh, good. And, He's uh, our current serving pastor. Oh, cool. So, so we're pastored by a married gay man. Mm -hmm. We have two members who are ELCA seminarians. Okay. Uh, both of whom are gay men. Oh wow. <laughs> um, we have LG and B people in congregational leadership, and yeah. the adult Sunday school is taught is by it? a T person. Yeah. Um, That's great. And, and it's really, really a wonderfully affirming place. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think that I would have been as comfortable transitioning mm -hmm. had I not been involved, wow. in, you know, long-term involved with a congregation that, you know, there was never any doubt in my mind that, that my transition was going to be recognized yeah. and accepted and welcomed. Um, That's beautiful. I'm so glad you had that. Well, I'm I'm deeply, deeply grateful. And our pastor was one of the first people I came out to. It was the first place that I went, you know, out in public yeah. in a skirt. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, there there were a few kind of raised eyebrows, but they were just wondering what was going on because yeah. I hadn't made a, made a big announcement. Yeah. So not judgmental, just kind of Absolutely curious, not or, judgmental, yeah. just curious. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the high points of the past couple of years was when we did a, a recognition of name change yeah. right yeah. in the congregation on a Baptism of Christ Sunday mm. two years ago. That's awesome. Uh, that's always going to be a treasured memory of mine. Mm -hmm. yeah. What about that was so special for you? Part of it was just knowing that a faith community that has been an important part of my life and my child's life mm -hmm. for two decades was a place where I was fully affirmed and welcomed and celebrated. Yeah. And you know it was constructed as a as an affirmation of baptism. Yeah. But one of my dear friends from the congregation stood up with me, mm -hmm. along with my son. They weren't baptismal sponsors, but mm -hmm. but they they kind of played that that same role. Mm -hmm. And and when my friend Kristen, uh, as as part of part of that liturgy uh, said something about recognizing Willow as as the strong, beautiful woman she is. Mm. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm getting a little weepy just thinking yeah. about it. So I've, I've been very, very blessed yeah. to, to have that community of faith where, where I'm affirmed. Yeah, I'm so happy you have that. Yeah. And I wish 
every trans person had that. Yeah. And unlike a lot of trans people, I never had any exposure to a community of faith where I wouldn't have been affirmed. Mm. You know, the, the Presbyterian congregation in Colorado mm -hmm. that I initially became in, involved in, I, I don't think had an official position on okay. ordination of, of gay people. The man who was the, the pastor there who, who baptized me mm -hmm. um, and later encouraged me to go yeah. to seminary, yeah. he, you know, that, that debate within the PCUSA was just really kind of heating up. Yeah. Um, what, he, he had a beautiful way of expressing it. There's a lot of things in understanding scripture, he said, that I'm not 100% sure about. And I am the first to admit that I might well be wrong. Yeah. But if there's something that I might be wrong about, I would like to err on the side of grace. Mm. That is beautiful. Uh, it's it's beautiful, and and uh, you know it's been been an important thing to hold on to. Not not only in the context of queer people being accepted within the church, mm -hmm. but of all of the controversies that yes. that church people yeah. get into all the little theological debates yeah. that it's, we like it, to have um you know it's it's a very useful hermeneutic yes uh, okay if i'm gonna make a mistake let's let me make it on the side of grace on the side of grace yeah another thing that that has been a real gift to me mm -hmm. um a, a phrase that i've held on to was actually something that when i first came to the seminary here on an exploratory weekend. Yeah. I was just looking into it. Gene yeah. uh, March, who was the dean at the time, talked to the group of us about how do you understand your vocation and, and how does that fit into uh, how the the church, both institutionally and and metaphysically yeah. hand, handles vocation and and he said one thing to ask yourself is what are the things that I can't not do the things that I would be doing even if nobody paid me to do them mm -hmm. uh, even if people told me that I shouldn't be doing them and and of course you know what are the life enriching things that you mm -hmm. can't not do and some words in there about, you know, if a whole lot of people in your community of faith and, and in your life are telling you not to do something, at least listen. Yeah, reflect on <laughs> it. Yeah. Yeah. But when it, when it got to the point that I had, and this is, this is uh, what, five years ago, yeah, yeah. 2014, when, when I got to the point, it is time for me to pick back up off the shelf the idea that I might be a trans person and, and to start asking what would be involved mm -hmm. in walking down that road. Mm -hmm. um, I, I started to ask, is this something that I can't not do? Yeah. And 20 years before that, it hadn't been a can't not do thing. And Something else that, that had happened maybe a, a couple of years earlier. Mm -hmm. um, I'd, I'd been diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, mm -hmm. and that meant some, some lifestyle changes yeah. for me. Um, and also, maybe it was just as simple as turning 50. Mm -hmm. But I woke up one morning and, and said, you know... I'm old enough that I just really don't give a hoot what anybody <laughs> thinks of how I look or how I dress or, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I am done mm -hmm. worrying about other people's impressions of yeah. me. And so a couple of years later, it became very easy to say, well, I'm already not worrying about other people's uh, superficial impressions of me. Mm -hmm. So what's going to... What is going to make my life comfortable for once? And that ended up being the road that I went down. And, you know, in retrospect, that therapist who told me in 1994 or whenever it was mm -hmm. that 
going down the road of transition would, would be hard. Yeah. He was absolutely right. Sure. Because a whole lot of water passed under passed under the metaphorical bridge between 1994 and, and 2014. Yeah. Um, and a whole lot of awareness of trans people mm-hmm. and acceptance mm-hmm. more acceptance developed in that time and yeah. and so i mean it really was relatively painless you know i i was able to find the medical assistance that i needed you know i i have with a, a couple of just small irritations sure uh aside aside from those i have had no adverse healthcare experiences that's really really cool that's great well it's really cool i also recognize that it's highly unusual yeah i mean you know everything has been so easy i worried about coming out in my workplace mm-hmm. It's one county south oh, okay. in in a relatively conservative area, mm-hmm. and I spent a couple of years really anguishing because I, I would kind of listen to side conversations between people who were in adjoining cubicles, mm-hmm. and uh, you know when Indiana passed its religious freedom yeah. law, mm-hmm. uh, and there was backlash. There were there were couple of people in adjoining cubicles who were pretty outraged at the backlash. Of course. And and my uh, department head, who's, who's now my boss, mm-hmm. I knew was a fairly conservative Catholic person. Okay. Yeah. So I was really, really concerned. Yeah. Um, and I had absolutely no reason to be. That workplace handled my transition uh, really really well now i did some work Mm -hmm. to help set that up educate them and to to educate them um but they took the information that i helped them find and really ran with it and i haven't had anybody Mm -hmm. give me any kind of side eye at that workplace that's really awesome yeah i feel like that's one of the big reasons why workplaces and schools and families need to sort of do the work and like make their stance clear before someone comes out. Cause like it's a little different, but with my family, they're more like my parents are conservative and Catholic. Mm-hmm. And so like, I had no clue how they were going to handle me coming out as queer because we just never talked about it. I didn't know if they felt negatively or pot- you know, there was just no knowledge. So like families and workplaces, they should, somehow make the message clear that if someone is going to come out that it'll be received well. Because then you wouldn't have had to spend those years anguishing. And I'll tell you, I would have been more productive for those years too. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you didn't have to have that worry hanging over you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I've often joked that if I ever wrote wrote uh, an autobiography, the title would be, If You Had Told Me Then. Uh. <laughs> You know, if, if if you had told me when I was uh, 14, mm-hmm. 12 or 14 years old mm-hmm. that, well, that I'd be a happy woman, yeah, I would have just shaken my head because, <laughs> A, I didn't have the vocabulary. Sure, And, sure. B, you know, I all throughout my adolescent years, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think I would have had a hard time believing that I was ever going to be happy. Wow. And that's 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 for a variety of reasons, mm-hmm. but I really think that part of it was deeply, deeply, deeply buried understanding that I wasn't living, that I wasn't living my truth. Yeah. Even though I didn't know what that truth was yet. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you're living your truth now? Yeah. Yeah. I am. Yeah. I am. Um, I think that. I, I also think that I have some more of that truth to discover. Oh, for sure. Um, Hopefully we all do. Yeah. yeah. You know, one, one thing that I've noticed was fairly early on after having decided to pursue transition, mm-hmm. I kind of 
had some preconceptions about sort of what what my transition goals were going to be, mm. and um, like I, I had some I had some pretty clear ideas about what my clothing style was going to be. Okay. And those have turned out to be wrong. Initially, I, I didn't really picture myself wearing skirts and dresses. But, boy, the day I put on my first skirt, and especially the day that I wore that skirt to church, mm-hmm. it was so clear to me that that's what I was supposed to be wearing. Oh, that's awesome. That sort of unexpected rightness. To yeah. It. And, and again, it's, it's that, that euphoria. Mm-hmm. That you su- could have lived without it. But you would have missed out on that that feeling of yeah. rightness. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, like, God doesn't intend us to just kind of live without things that are joyful. Like, to just ha- sort of have that neutral life. We're called yeah. to a full life. Yeah. That 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 reminds me of, of something that that uh, Justin Tannis talks oh. about. Yeah. Which... Love that guy. Yeah. Just finished reading this oh, all wonderful. the way through. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> um, is that available now? Yes. Oh, just side note for listeners. Transgender, um, a book by Justin Tannis from like 2003, I think, used to be like 130 bucks to buy because it was out of print. It's now like 23 bucks, so it's back in print, y'all. Yeah. Justin Tannis. <laughs> yeah. Um, talks, talks about that being and living as a trans person and living into that truth is mm-hmm. just as much a calling, yes. a vocation from God, yes. as is a ministerial vocation. Yeah. And yeah, I believe that 100%. Um, and, and many of those, and, and that ties back in with the, you know, what can't you not do? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, having now lived as myself for the first time in, in 50-odd years, mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't go back. Yeah. yeah. After you've seen what yeah. euphoria is like, if you, after you've seen what full life is like. Yeah. It would be cruel of anyone to try and push you back into something. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm truly blessed that I don't have anybody in my life telling you that. Who, who would tell Good. me that. Now, that early on in transition, the other source of stress for me was going to be how will my parents mm-hmm. deal with it, and how is my kid mm-hmm. going to deal with it? At the time, uh, my son was 17, mm-hmm. 18, and my, my parents actually lived, lived with us oh, okay. uh, during, during his school years. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was the four of us in the house together, um, and I first talked to my to my kid, and nobody has been a bigger booster hmm. all all the way along. But he was really, really, really concerned about how they would deal hmm. with it. Yeah. I think that both of us had a misimpression of how conservative yeah. they were. Yeah. I I gotta say, my relationship with them has blossomed yeah. and become infinitely richer. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that they they might not articulate it this way, sure. but I think they can see my life is better and, you know, more authentic and in all mm-hmm. those all those words. Yeah. But he uh he made me promise not to have that talk with them while he was in the house. Okay. And I had that conversation with them and went and picked him up from the from the youth group activity that he was involved in, and he said, "Are they still there?" Because his fear was was that they would pack their bags and leave. Yeah, which was which was completely unfounded. But mm-hmm. you know, they, and they they struggled a little yeah. bit, but only because they didn't yet have the information. Yeah, not not because they were hostile. And and the 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 real switching point especially for my mom, was the day that I first went to work as Willow and came home mm-hmm. and was able to report to her that that had gone, had gone well. Yeah. It was like it, it threw a switch for her. Wow. And the very next night, she, she called me up and said, on the Christmas cards that we send out this year to family, can I use your new name? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's sweet. Yeah, and the the extended family has by and large been been supportive too. Mm -hmm. Which I mean, I don't know why all of this surprised me, but it yeah. did. Well, there's, it's unfortunate, but there are so many stories where things go horribly wrong. I mean, that was my expectation with my family too that I would deal with a lot more hostility than I have. Mm -hmm. um, and it goes back again to like, you know, people who would potentially be supportive should sort of broadcast that before the issue arises. Yeah. So that those of us who are thinking of coming out don't have to be afraid to do so. Yeah. Because, yeah, your brain will just, your imagination goes wild when you're thinking of coming out. You know all the stories of it going wrong and yeah. the rejection. Yeah. And that's all you can think about, even like, I like to think of myself as an optimist, but when it came to coming out, I was thinking worst case scenarios for everyone. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I have never been more happy to be proven wrong. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, for, for a while, I've, I've been kind of working in, in the back of my mind on a, a Facebook post that I think I, I, I really want to put out there. Mm -hmm. Um, that that I would want to address to all of the people I was in seminary with, all, all the mm -hmm. people I know who are working pastors. And it, it goes something like this. Someday soon, somebody's going to walk into your office. And it might be a member of your congregation who says, I think I'm trans. Mm -hmm. Or it might be a member of your congregation who says, my son keeps insisting that he's not a boy. Or my daughter keeps insisting that she's not a boy or a girl. Yeah. Yeah. Or somebody's going to walk through your front doors who you clock as being visibly transgender, mm -hmm. who's a stranger to the congregation. Mm -hmm. Are you ready? Yeah. You know, what resources do you have at your fingertips to, to be able to answer their questions. Mm -hmm. And what are, you do, what are you and your congregation doing today to make that person feel welcome and to make it clear to people who haven't walked through the door yet that they too will be welcome? Mm -hmm. You should definitely make that post. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm, I'm not a huge uh, out-on-the-front-lines activist mm -hmm. but uh, yeah there was this election thing a little over two years ago <laughs> yep. yep there was that sadly um, and and frankly it was that that really kicked me into gear mm -hmm. in terms of going ahead and getting my name changed and mm -hmm. coming out at work because I, I was thinking, okay, what what am I going to do to to resist this? Well, one yeah. thing that I knew I could do would be to just show up at that workplace visibly trans. Yeah, just living your life just, is just, an act of just, resistance. You know, none of the people I work with now can ever say, well, I've never met a trans person. Yeah, that it doesn't affect their life or people they know. Yeah, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I hope that they can see that Yes, I'm trans, and I am also a, a productive member of society, and, <laughs> yeah. and uh, yeah. not not some strange mythical yeah. creature. Yeah. Now, the one thing we haven't talked about mm -hmm. is what it's like being a trans person who is the parent of a trans person. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Because you came out to your son. How long after that was it that he came out to you? Um, it was. A couple of weeks or maybe a couple of months, but no more than a couple wow. of months. After I had that conversation with my parents, mm -hmm. and, you know, maybe part of it was that he saw that, no, they didn't pack their bags and go yeah. home. And that's, that's when he came out wow. yeah. to us. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I'll be honest, they've been a lot better about my parents have been a lot better about name and pronouns with me than they are with him. Oh. The other thing that is true about both my parents is they're in their early 80s. Yeah. You know, so so they're they're certainly they don't hit 100% 
even on my na- on my name or mm-hmm. pronouns. Mm-hmm. I'm not really all that bothered by that. Okay. Yeah. I'm just happy they're trying. Yeah. You know that they're accepting. You know they're trying. Yeah. And so the mistakes aren't as painful. In in the same way that you know, my my coworkers will occasionally mm-hmm. slip. You know, because they knew me for six or seven years yeah. as this person with that name mm-hmm. and that beard and mm-hmm. those pronouns. And, you know, verbal habit is a strong sure. thing. You know, and, and pardon my, my uh, blue language for a minute, but, you know, I have always said the only thing that's ever going to bother me is deliberate assholery. With the exception of one cousin, mm-hmm. I have not encountered that, and he's always been an my, asshole. An asshole. So. <laughs> no, no shockers. No, yeah, no so, surprise there. <laughs> so, so no, it it didn't come as a surprise. You know, I've I've just I keep saying it, but it's true. I've been incredibly lucky and incredibly blessed all the way along. Yeah, and that's I don't know about you, but sometimes when I feel like I've been lucky I feel bad about that and I always try to remind myself it's a good thing that I've encountered this acceptance the goal isn't to like play some sort of oppression olympics where I should want to be you know rejected and stuff it's the goal is to bring other all trans people up to that level of acceptance exactly everyone's well and and it motivates me to do things like to reach out to 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 the working pastors I know Mm -hmm. to say this has been so wonderful for me. I really would like you to be equipped yeah. Yeah. to be able to extend the same welcome. Yeah. So it can be wonderful for others too. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 kind of a motivator. And mm-hmm. you know, I, we we were talking earlier about what's my my personal relationship with with the divine. Yeah. I I guess I would say it's primarily gratitude based. Mm-hmm. You know, I I recognize from the get go mm-hmm. that all good things come from God. Yeah. I also recognize just from experience that my life goes a whole lot smoother mm-hmm. the more I can recognize and fo- and focus on those good things and yeah. my gratitude for them. So so my son, mm-hmm. get, getting back to, yeah. to him, he has always. You know, as as soon as I was out to my parents, mm-hmm. he has consistently referred referred to me and introduced me as mm-hmm. mom. And I I know different different people in different families have have different ways of negotiating yeah. around that. Yeah. The the fact that my ex and I live apart mm-hmm. makes it a little bit easier because mm. you know no matter which house he's yeah. he's in when he says hey mom there's only are, one person yeah. who's, who's going to answer <laughs> yeah on the other hand he also he also has the disadvantage of getting caught into endless go ask your mother loops <laughs> <laughs> and you know i hope i've been reasonably good about Talking about him as as my son and mm-hmm. getting the pronouns right and, and getting the name right. Yeah. And you know, I'll I'll be honest. Any parent I think would have some concerns about well, what what is my kid's life going to be like? Yeah. You know, I'll I'll be there if he needs me. Mm-hmm. I think that's my mom's main hang up a lot of times with me being non-binary is just. But what will people think? Like, will it affect your ability to get jobs mm-hmm. and things like that? Especially being, like, I guess if I stayed on testosterone long enough and, like, wore the right clothes and did the right things, I could pass as a man, but I have no desire to do that. Mm-hmm. It might give me a leg up in certain kinds of careers, mm-hmm. um, but I do not want to do that. And I think that's yeah. part of her concern is because I want to be visibly queer that worry that, well, what if someone harasses you for it or doesn't mm-hmm. give you a job for it? And so, yeah, I think that's, you have such a unique viewpoint being trans yourself and also having mm-hmm. a trans child to kind of have those thoughts about. Well, and, you know, I'm not a typical anything. 
I don't think. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and and maybe that that goes all the way back to you know third grade being kind of proud of being the weird kid. Yeah. But I'm sure pretty happy with where I am right now. And I'm really, really grateful to have gotten rid of that sandpaper suit. Yeah, for sure. No one, no one, no one should live like that. So. Nobody should have to live like that. Mm-hmm. And and certainly nobody should have to live surrounded by people who want that for them. Yes, here's to a future where everyone can be free of those sandpaper suits. And... Absolutely. Absolutely. Live their true selves and experience euphoria and freedom. Yeah. And and live lives that can be full of gratitude. Mm-hmm. Ready to wrap up? Yeah. yeah. I, I just want to thank you for the invitation to Absolutely. I want to thank you for talk. accepting the invitation. Like you said, you're not a typical anything. The kind of goal of this podcast is to get as big a variety of stories as we can. And I yeah. thought yours would be a great starting point. So. Well, and, you know, <clears throat> going back to that, that Facebook post that I, yeah. that I want to write, I think that something that is so important for cis straight people to know, mm-hmm. I call them muggles. The muggles. <laughs> yeah. What, what, I, what I would really love for all the muggles to know yeah. is that no two trans people have exactly mm-hmm. the same pathway. Mm-hmm. The muggles. <laughs> I'm going to start using that. Someone yelled at me on Facebook a while ago for saying cisheads, so I'm going to change to muggles. Yeah. Well, and I like it because what does that make us but wizards? Yes. <laughs> Magical. Um, I think the way I ended the other one was like, go out there and break some binaries or something. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Be a blessing to the world with your life.